I'm excited about this series. Uh, the series is called Seven, and over the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at some uh, uh, different stories of faith, stories of perseverance uh, from the Bible. And uh, the reason that we have called it Seven uh, is because this month, uh, actually uh, in the middle of next week, uh, not this week, coming the week after, Generation Church actually turns seven years old. It's hard to believe that our little startup church that started in the living room in 2010 is already seven years old. We've seen so much uh, throughout uh, the, the the last seven years. We've seen so many different things. We've seen people come and go. We've uh, made friends. We've had to say goodbye to some friends. Uh, we've seen good times. We've seen bad times. We've seen times of plenty. We've seen times of scarcity. Uh, we've seen times of struggle. We've seen times where things were easy. Uh, we've seen uh, times where our emotions uh, have been on a high. Other times when our emotions have been low. Uh, we've gone through periods where we really feel that that what God has promised for Generation Church will come to pass. And we feel that this generation around us uh, who does not know the Lord at all will come to a place where they will experience Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But then there's been other times where we felt like God just left the building. And we're like, okay, what happened to God? Where did God go? See, seven years is a long time. And during this seven-year stretch that we have had, we've seen so many different things, so many, uh, so many, so much stuff that we could talk about, times when God was faithful, times when we just had to hold on to God because we didn't know if God was going to come through. But During these seven years, it has taught me a lot of things. And during these seven years, it's taught me that seasons come and go. Uh, That the journey isn't always easy. But the journey isn't always a struggle either. It's taught me that each season is important for proper growth and development. And what you find, and we're just going into a new season right now, summer has gone and fall has come. And we know that seasons come and go. Some of you, you are praising God that summer had gone and that fall has come. Others, you are cursing God that summer has gone and fall has come. But seasons come and go. But this is what we know. Not every season is easy, but not every season is a struggle. But each season is important to proper growth and development. Now, fall is here. And some of you, you are leaping for joy that fall is here. It is a good thing in your eyes that fall is here. You love fall. You love the fact that the weather is cooling down a little. You love that the fact that the trees are starting to change color a little. You love the fact that the NFL season has begun and no one cares about baseball anymore, if anyone cared about baseball anyway. You love the fact that pumpkin spice is now available at Starbucks. This week, I tried some pumpkin spice M&Ms. Whoever invented that idea should be shot and fired immediately because they were nasty and disgusting. I do not like pumpkin spice at all. I don't even know why I tried them. They were there. It was too tempting M&Ms, but I tried them. But 
You love pumpkin spice, all themed pumpkin spice. Some of you, you are so excited because you live for hayrides. You are an adult and you still love hayrides. You love the fact that you get to carve some pumpkins in, a, in, a, in about a month and a half because you are so excited that fall is here. Me, I am not so excited that fall is here because this is in my mindset, this is what I think fall. Fall means winter. I miss a whole season. Winter is here. That's in my mind. Summer has gone. Winter is here. It means cold weather. It means that my heating bill is just going to go up and up and up. It means that I'm not going to get to do the things that I like to do in spring and summer. And so this is what I do in winter. I wait for spring and I count down spring. And so the whole of fall and winter is just a blur to me because I live for spring and summer. But this is what I've noticed. In the middle of longing for spring and summer, I often miss the beauty of fall and the beauty of winter. See, even in the seasons that you don't like, there are things to look out and things to see and things to learn. And you can see the beauty in every single season of life. And we have to embrace each season we are in. We have to find the beauty and the opportunities for growth. Otherwise, life will just pass us by and one day we'll wake up and we'll think, there's got to be more to life than this. There was a guy in the Bible called Solomon, King Solomon of Israel. He is known as the wisest man who ever lived, except for Jesus. And He wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this is what he said. He said, for everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh a time to grieve, and a time to dance. Some of you shouldn't be dancing at all because I've seen your moves. Anyway, carry on. It says, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Then he said this, what do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are the gifts of God." So what Solomon is telling us here, there is a time for everything. There are seasons that come and go. And within this, those seasons, there is, there is beauty in each of those seasons. There is things to learn, opportunities for growth in each of those seasons. He is telling us in, in, in no matter what season you are going through in life, that you should still take a, a longevity view of life and enjoy life. 
and enjoy the season that you are going through. Whether you are in a season of laughter or a season of sadness, there are still opportunities to grow. Whether you are in a season of plenty right now or a season of scarcity, there are opportunities to grow. Whether you are in a season of hardship and pain or if you are in a season that is easy and life is great. If you are in a season where you are just riding the waves of life or you are in a season when the waves are coming over your head, there are still opportunities to grow and opportunities to develop. Each season is to be enjoyed. So speaking to myself this morning, I should sit back and enjoy the fall. Winter is not here yet. I should enjoy everything except for pumpkin spice because I don't like pumpkin spice. For those of you who've got kids, you will understand that each season of your kid's life or your child's life, there are things that you love about it and there are things that you despise about it. And and, and before I became a parent, everyone says, just enjoy each season because it goes so quick. And for those of you, you've got adult children. uh, You know that those seasons just go so quick. Enjoy each season of your kid's life. And so if you have a newborn or, you know, you've got a pretty young baby this morning, I want to tell you and I want to encourage you, enjoy that season where that baby is just crying and crying because it wants food or it wants his diaper changed it just wants its mommy and daddy. I know it's a pain to hear that cry, but it is a sweet little cry because a season is coming where that child is going to be two or three or four, where that cry turns into a whine. And that wine is annoying as crazy. You want to just like squeeze that kid and get all the wine out of them so they cannot whine anymore. Enjoy that season you're in right now because worse things are to come. I'm telling you. (laughs) Enjoy each season of parenthood. And each one of us right now, we're in this place. If we were to do a survey of each one of us here at Generation Church, each one of us, we would be in a different season of life. There would be very few of us who are in exactly the same season of life as the person next to you. We were all in different stages of life. And as I contemplate the seven-year stretch we've had at Generation Church, I'm beginning to understand that there is one common thread that we need for every season of life. There is a way to do life no matter what season you are in. There is something to include in our rhythm of life no matter what you're going through on a daily basis. And this is the way that you do life, no matter what season that you are in. You have to understand the importance of rest. The importance of rest. Throughout the Bible, you'll see again and again that resting is a huge rhythm of God. That God's rhythm of life involves resting. And God desires you to live out that rhythm of life where rest is in your rhythm. That it's in your daily flow. That moment to stop. That moment to pause. That moment to catch your breath. That moment to stop and enjoy the scenery. This is what I know about us as Americans. Resting is not easy for Americans. Resting is not easy for Americans. Back in August, I took just over two weeks to go to England. And before I left, this is what I heard from multiple people. 
Alex, are you not stressed that you're going away for two weeks? I was like, yeah, kind of, but it's okay. They're like, how can anyone like go away for two weeks? They're like, there's so much stuff you're going to have to come back to. So much stuff you're going to get behind on. How can you cope with two weeks off? Like, how can anyone take that much time off? And then I go to England, and this is what the Europeans say. They were like, how much time do Americans get off for vacation? It says, well, most jobs, it's probably about 10 days, and it goes up to that. Maybe the maximum most people get is like four weeks. And they're like, wow. They're like, how can you be productive with only that much time off? That's what they say. So Americans are thinking, how can we have, how can we, how can we work? How can we be, be productive? How can we get stuff done if we're taking time off? But the Europeans are saying, how can you get stuff done if you're not taking time off and not being productive? And I think the European model, just like it has been with Hurricane Irma, if you notice, they've got the American model and the European model. The Europeans won the day on that one. And uh, just like Hurricane Irma, the European model, I think, is God's model. Because I think if we work and work and work and work, that is not God's model for life. God's model for life involves a rhythm of resting involves a rhythm for resting. I want us to understand the importance of resting this morning. I want us to understand that we need to integrate rest into our lives, no matter what season of life that we are in. And so I want us to take a look very quickly at what God says about rest and why God created rest and how God created rest. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to the very beginning Genesis chapter 1. That's not hard to find. If you're new to the Bible, it's the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the Bible. If you can't find that, then you need to go back to school. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 31, it says this. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Let's just pause there for a moment. So this is what's happened in chapter 1. God has created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. The heavens and the earth were created. The, 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 the planets and the stars and the earth were created. The, the land was separated from the sea. The mountains were formed. The trees and the plants and the vegetation were formed. The animals were created. The birds and the fish in the sea were created. And then finally, God created his most prized creation, and that was human life. Six days to create. And God looked over it, and the Bible says, God saw what he created, and it was good. Marking the end of the sixth day. Then it carries on in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, the story of creation, especially over the last 30 years, has been one for big debate in the Christian church. People ha- have said that the story of Genesis does not go along with 
science and what science says. And then the church says, well, science is wrong. The story of Genesis is right. And I'll be honest, I've heard some really, really good arguments on both sides. Whether God actually used 24 uh, sorry, six 24-hour days to create the world, or that, 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 that six days was, was more of a symbolic of how long it took the world to form. I, I mean, I, I don't know because the, the arguments are so good. I look at what the Bible says, and, uh, and I've always believed in, in God created the world in six days, but that's not really important. Because what God is trying to say here, the message of God right here doesn't matter if God created the world in six days or if it took billions of years, like the scientists say, it created the, or the world to be formed. What God is trying to say here, the lesson is for everybody, no matter what argument that you are on. See, God was in a season of creating and developing. God was in the season of life when he was, he was speaking life into the world and things were being formed and things were being created. Let's be honest, it was an intense season. You just don't create the world like that. I mean, think of all the plans that God had, all the, all, all the engineering it took place in, in the mind of God to create the world. It was an amazing feat, even though he is God. Think of the energy it took to create the universe, to put the stars in their place. Now, if that was us, this is what I think would probably happen. We would have this project, okay, project A, create the world. And then we would go to, to work on it, and we, 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 we would try to maybe get other people involved, and, and, and we would work, and we would work, and we would work, and as the deadline approached, as that six-day approached, we would work harder and harder and harder, and we would never stop, and we'd probably burn some all-nighters, and, and we would drink lots of co- coffee. We would probably like drink more than what we should of Red Bull or some five-hour energy, and we would just go at it, and we would work and work and work, and then finally Finally, we would complete the task and we would be like, yes, it is over. Now it's time to go to bed. So then we would go to bed and our minds still switched on a little. So we put some Netflix on to, you know, to, 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 to calm us down a little. And then we go to bed and then we decide not to get up early the next morning. And then we wake up late and then we wake up and we decide to have ourselves a nice breakfast. And then we put some TV on and then we decide, well, maybe I might just go back to bed and watch a marathon on Netflix or on demand of my favorite TV show. And then we order some pizza in and we get some junk food. And the last thing that we want to think of is the project we just worked on. The last thing that we want to do is think about the creation of the world because we are totally burnt out from all of it. We've crashed and we've burned, and all we want to do is just be like a zombie in our room and crash and burn. This is actually what many people's weekends look like, did you know? But this is not God's way. This is not God's version of rest. Our version of rest is just to forget about everything and just switch off. This is not God's version of rest. We see that God actually makes a deliberate step here. God scheduled into his plan a day of rest. Notice this, and it's only this week as I started studying this, I started to realize how many days did it take God to create the world? Six. 
God created the days, the weeks, the months, and the years. How many days did God create? Seven. So if God only took six days to create the world, if it only took six days, why did God create seven days? Why is there a seventh day? Because God's work was not complete on the seventh day. The word rest here in the Genesis basically means God ceased from creating, but God's work was still not done. God still worked on that seventh day, but his work was very different from the other six days. See, God understands the importance of rest. And his work on the seventh day was different. This is what his work on the seventh day was. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. He rested from all his work, or he ceased from creating. Then it says this, and this is God's work on the seventh day. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. God did not just hide himself away in his room and watch a marathon of TV shows on Netflix. God still went to work on the seventh day. He looked at it. He declared it holy. God blessed this day. Notice the other six days were not holy days. The days when we work, the days when we're living out our God-given purpose, the days that, that, that we are creating, the days that we are providing for our family, the days that we're carving out our future, and we've got all these dreams and everything. These are the days that we're working. But none of those days, God said, are holy. But the day of rest was considered a holy day. See, this is what I, I believe or I think. That God knew the importance to rest and he knew how hard it would be for us to rest. In Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20 is the chapter where the Ten Commandments are given. These aren't just commandments for the children of Israel. These are commandments that have gone throughout history. That that are way to to, to live in a moral life and, and ways of morality. And this is what God said. In Genesis chapter 20, and verse, starting at verse 8, it says, Remember to observe, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This was the seventh day of the week. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Notice this, it's not a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to watching Netflix all day. Dedicated to the Lord your God. It's set apart. Six days about your work. The seventh day is about Christ's work. Then he carries on and says, On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and your daughters, Don't tell your kids that, though, because then if you want them to do chores, you know, they'll be like, well, the Bible says I shouldn't do them on a Sunday. But you can exclude that. I give you permission. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. 
For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So here, God is giving instructions to the Israelites. This seventh day, set it apart. This one day, all that you do in the other six days, you're not to do on the seventh day. It's a day dedicated to the Lord. You are to keep it holy and everybody in your household are to keep it holy as well. And then people say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. And so one day Jesus was walking down the street and Jesus picked some corn off, 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 off from, some field, from a field. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, see, Jesus, you just blasphemed against God because you worked on the Sabbath day. You pick some corn on the Sabbath day. And Jesus turns around to them in Mark chapter, tw- Mark chapter 2, verses 27. He says this. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. See, this morning we were singing that God is good. See, God is a good God because when God created the world, he created a day that you could rest. And that is called the Sabbath day. And it is a day made to help you. It's a, may, it's a day for, for you to recharge, for you to refresh, for you to pause, for you to cease, to you, for you to quickly check the beauty of the scenery. It's for you to understand the beauty of the season that you are in right now. And there is a tendency within us to fill our days with activity. Moments of ceasing seem to be lazy to us. But this is a lie. We would be crazy to even believe that we do not need to cease when the creator, the one who created our makeup, makeup, the one who knows our hearts, says that we need to rest. We would be crazy to say that we don't need to rest. Did you know that God is serious about resting? These truths are not just for human beings. These truths God actually gave for the universe. For, for, for the world we live in. These truths were not just given to people. This was also a commandment for the land that people worked, the farmers that they worked, and the animals that they owned. In Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 to 13 says this. Plant and harvest your crops for six years. Now we've gone from days to years. Plant and harvest your crops for six years. But let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on that land. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and your olive groves. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day, you must stop working. This gives you your ox, and your donkey, a chance to rest. How many have got an ox and a donkey at their home this morning? Not many of us. But it gives you and your animals a chance to rest. It also applies to your slave, slaves and the foreigners living among you to be refreshed. And he says this, pay close attention to all my instructions. 
pay close attention to all my instructions. This is an instruction of God. You who are farming the lands, farm it for six years. Let it rest on the seventh year. You who have animals and people working for you, you can work them for six days. But on the seventh day, let them rest. For the Lord knew that the ground could not contain or sustain a continual harvest of crops that would sustain the people and satisfy the people. And in Leviticus chapter 25, God tells the Israelites that if they are to keep this Sabbath year holy, and he said the seventh year is a Sabbath year where you let the land rest. If you are to keep the Sabbath year holy, then the crops from the sixth year will sustain you over to the seventh year. He's saying that, that, that what, what I will give in the sixth year is like a double harvest that will sustain you in the seventh year. And then the eighth year, you will have more than enough to cover the loss of the Sabbath year's crops. And if we follow God in obeying him, in stopping, in pausing, in resting and in ceasing, then this is what I get from this. What we produce the rest of the time will be more than enough. So going back to the European model of vacations, and let's be honest, we would all love about six weeks off a year like the Europeans get. But basically, many of you probably wouldn't even take it anyway. But what they are saying is, if you rest enough, the rest of the time you are more productive than you were before. And this is a biblical principle because this is what God is saying. The land, if the land has chance to rest, it will produce more when you are harvesting it. When you are working for six days, if you rest properly and you pause and you cease and you take the Sabbath day holy, what you produce the rest of the time will be more than enough. I think it's a little like Chick-fil-A, right? I hate the fact that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays because the only day I want Chick-fil-A is Sundays. But the truth is this. You go to Chick-fil-A Monday through to Saturday, it is crazy. Sit in that drive-thru just to get a chicken sandwich. I mean, are we crazy or what? But Chick-fil-A Monday through Saturday produces more than McDonald's, Burger King, KFC, Taco Bell and Sonic produced together in seven days. Now, some people say, well, it's just because they got good lemonade and they got good chicken sandwiches. But the truth of this is they are taking biblical principles and they're saying we're going to produce for six days, but we're going to take the Sabbath day holy. We're going to take it serious what God is saying. And maybe some of you right now, you're not seeing the harvest that you long for in your life because you're not trusting God enough to pause. Maybe you're saying, but I need to keep going. I need to keep going, keep going so I can provide for my family, so I can get where I want to get, so I can follow my career path. I need to keep going and going and going. And God is saying, hold on. If you just take a moment, no matter what season you're going through in life and pause, and take the Sabbath holy or seriously, then what you will produce the rest of the time will be more than sufficient to cover that day where you rested. I wonder if we really took the Sabbath day seriously. If we really Sabbathed right. 
You know what? I bet we would probably, most of us would become a Chick-fil-A success story. There's something about creating a rhythm of pausing in the middle of your season that generates greater output during the rest of that season. And some of you, you are in an amazing season right now. You're in a season where you're riding that wave. You're in a season where life is good. Your marriage is good. Your kids are behaving. You've got money in the bank. And work is good. And you are enjoying life right now. You are in a good season. You feel blessed in your season right now. You're in a season where, where you feel that opportunities are just like making a beeline for you. That doors are opening left, right, and center. And you are in a season and you just want to keep riding that wave as long as you can. You've got momentum and you're saying, we can't stop because if we stop, we're going to lose momentum. But the reality is this. If you're not careful, if you don't stop and pause and renew and refresh that wave is eventually going to crash. But if you stop and pause, you can start to see when that wave is going to crash and the next wave is going to come. Some of you, you're in a tough season right now. You're in a season where life is hard. Life is painful. Life is just tiring. You wake up in the morning, you're tired. You go to bed at night and you're tired. You're in a season right now where your kids are not behaving themselves. You're in a season where your your spouse is not behaving themselves. You're in a season right now where your dogs and cats aren't even behaving themselves. You're in a season right now where you feel that life is just this one hard thing that you keep going through. And it feels like you're walking through the mud and you cannot run and every time you take one step forward you take three steps back and you're in this tough season of life right now even more so if you're in that season then you need to make sure that you do not neglect the rhythm of resting of pausing and ceasing For what I've discovered in my life, it's often through those moments of pausing that I've started to see the dawn of a new day coming and a new season coming in my life. As I close today, I'm going to finish with a scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 15. I'm going to read this from the message version. And this is what it says. At the end of every seventh year, cancel all debts. This is the procedure. Everyone who has lent money to a neighbor writes it off. I wish the credit card companies abide by this, right? It says, you must not press your neighbor or your brother for payments. All debts are canceled. God says so. And some of you, you're in this place today. And you have been going through life. And life has maybe been tough. You've been searching for answers in this life. Some of you, you're in this place today and you feel the heavy weight of sin on your life. You have more questions about God than you have answers. Some of you, you have never really experienced God in your life. Some of you, this may be even the first time you've had being exposed to church or to Jesus. And for some of you right now, 
Your sin is creating a debt in your life. And that debt is a debt that ultimately results in death. And that sin in your life, it is eating away at you. That lifestyle is eating away at you and you cannot get rid of it at all. And you feel that you are just under just the, the, bind, the bounds of debt in your life. And it feels like the weight of life is just so heavy on you. And I believe God has brought you in this place today to tell you the seventh year is here. That that debt that you once owed, God said all debts are cancelled. That debt of sin from your lifestyle from years ago or your lifestyle that you're living right now, God is saying your debts are cancelled for I am here. Some of you, you're in this place today and you have not rested for a long time. You, you have just gone from one thing to another and you're feeling so burnt out on life. Your marriage feels burnt out. You feel burnt out with your kids. You're fed up with your job. You're fed up with your life altogether. And you are just so tired. And God is saying the seventh year is here. It's time to rest. All debts are canceled. It's time to stop. It's time to pause. It's time to see the beauty of the scenery around you as you keep the Sabbath day holy. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this moment. And if you're in this place today and you know that you are not living a life for Jesus, you know that your sin and your lifestyle is as far away from God as, and taking you even further from God. If you are in this place today and that is you, then I want to tell you that Jesus is here today. And Jesus is shouting, it's the seventh year, all debts are cancelled. If you just come unto me and give your life to me. And so if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, if you've never made him Lord of your life, then today is the day you can do that. And all you have to do is confess your sin before God. And then invite Jesus to become Lord of your life. And say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in who you are and what you've done. And if you do that, I believe that God is going to come and wipe that debt of sin away from your life. That heavy weight that is just, that is just weighed down on you year after year, day after day. It's going to be gone because in the kingdom of God, there's no more guilt. There's no more shame. There's no more unforgiveness. There's no more sin that weighs us down because there is freedom in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, if that is you this morning, then we're going to pray. And when we pray, we're going to pray that God will forgive us of our sins and our debts will be canceled. Others here this morning, you're in this place and you know that you are not resting as you should. You know that you are not pausing, you are not ceasing, you are not checking out the beauty of the scenery because you've neglected the seventh day. You're treating the seventh day like every other day. But God is saying to keep the Sabbath holy.
And so as I pray today, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray that God will just help you. Help you to rest. Help you to pause. Help you to trust Him that what you produce in the sixth will be enough to cover the seventh. And so as I pray this morning, and I know I need this word as much as you do this morning. If this spoke to you this morning, I'm going to ask you as I pray, just to, just to lift up your hand to God and say, God, I surrender to you this morning. And I'm going to lift up my hand this morning because I need this as much as, as anybody else this morning. And as we pray, I believe that God is going to start changing the rhythms of our lives so that the seventh day will become a holy day to us. So raise your hand if that's you this morning as we pray.